We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening. Uh, We are continuing our series called Life in the Kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we're looking at what it's like to live in this tension between Christ's first return and his second. This first arrival where he saves us, where he takes our sins, and then the second where he comes in conquering. So how do we live as citizens of the kingdom in the here and now in a world that isn't the kingdom, right? The world is opposed to us. So what does it look like? And so we've, just to kind of remind you what we've covered so far, we've talked about first the Beatitudes. What are the characteristics of citizens of the kingdom. So Mike walked us through that. And then we are to be salt and light. And we are to share the gospel of the kingdom, as you saw in our key verse for this series, that Christ is going throughout all Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then for the last several weeks, Chris has been walking us through this relationship of Christ and the law, that he came to fulfill it, And so what does it mean to follow Christ and thereby complete the law? Um, And you probably remember like the key idea there is the heart. Why am I doing these things? What does it mean to follow Christ, right? That it's, it's, it's actions that flow out of a changed heart, a changed soul right? Not just these outward signs. And so today we're going to take that concept and look more specifically at just one issue, and that's relationship to money, right? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ, and how do we handle money? How are we to look at money? How are we to use money? Um, What does it mean in this world while we wait for Christ to return? How do we use our treasure and our wealth, our time, our resources, Okay, so we'll be in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. And there's three sections to this passage we'll look at. Um, And the first two, I'm going to give you some terms, some key words that'll help you remember the key ideas. Uh, This first section, the key words are heart and treasure. Okay, heart and treasure. Uh, So the first two sections both have a a body part, actually, as as a key word. And Christ is doing that on purpose so that you can help remember the big concept. So this first section is on heart and treasure. So if you'll start with me in Matthew 6 and verse uh, 19, we'll look at this first section. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now you'll see some patterns here in this this section. He always gives like a positive command, a negative command, or a positive statement, a negative statement. And then he'll have kind of a a conclusion um, to kind of summarize each section. So here he opens up with a negative command. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, he tells you. It's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And notice he gives you three things that could destroy. Moths uh, representing insects, regular destruction. Rust, what does rust destroy? Metals, right? Precious metals, things like that. So moths for cloth, precious linens, things like that. Uh, Rust for precious metals. And then anything that those two don't get, you're still not out of the woods because thieves can come break in and steal, 
all right? So what he's showing you is, is the, the wholeness of the destruction of the stuff on earth. Is any of this gonna last? As nice as this building is, sooner or later, it's gonna start to fall apart. As nice as these chairs are that we're sitting in, they're gonna start to fall apart, right? Moths are gonna get to it. Rust is gonna get to it. Everything here on earth eventually will start to fall apart. And so Christ is reminding you, don't invest in something. It's a bad investment. If you know it's gonna fall apart, don't do that. And this idea is picked up also by James, the brother of Jesus. He'll almost echo exactly what Christ is saying in James 5, one through three. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Okay. Your gold and your silver have rusted, so moth rust, and your rust will be a witness to you and consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days you've stored up your treasure. These things that you're investing in, these temporary things that are going away, okay, will be used against you in the final judgment. If all you've done is put your money and time and resources and wealth here on earth, it'll actually be a testimony against you in the second coming, okay, in the final judgment. So not only should you not do it because it's gonna fall apart, it's also gonna be a witness against you. Two very good reasons to avoid the wealth here on earth. Everything passes away. It's just simply a bad investment. And I'll give you an example. Um, my dad, when he was younger, he, 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 he got a wild hair and he decided he's gonna invest in a really cool car. And so he ended up buying a 79 special edition Trans Am black T-top, gold trim, okay, all the works. So has anybody seen Smokey and the Bandit? Okay, it's, it's that car, all right, the coolest car you could possibly think of. But guess what's happened to that car over the years? It rusted. The moths got to the interior. Eventually, he couldn't keep up with uh, the, the amount of money it would take to keep the car going, so he parked it in the garage. And so if you see it today, and I wish I had a picture of it, it's covered in at least two inches of dust. Mice live inside the engine. The tires have all fallen apart, okay? These things go away, even if it's Burt Reynolds' car, right? The Rust is coming. The moths are coming. And before you judge him too harshly, I asked him, like, why in the world would you let such a car diminish? And he's like, well, it's really hard to put a kid's seat in a Trans Am, okay? You just can't do it. And so I had to buy a car and put my money in something that helps save people that doesn't make me cool. So he bought the most uncool car you could possibly buy, which was an 86 Ford Aerostar van. We got a picture, there we go. And his was brown. They don't even have a picture of that on the internet anymore because it was so ugly and uncool. But he wanted to invest in his family. I wanted to keep my family safe. Eternally does that matter far more than looking cool like Burt Reynolds in a 79 Trans Am. All right, so there it is. I, we actually found a picture of it with three of the coolest dudes ever in front of a brown Aerostar van. What matters ultimately, okay? Does he regret at all giving up that Trans Am? Maybe a slight bit, okay? But isn't this far more important? A far better use of resources. Now, I'm not gonna lie if I ever win the lottery, I know what I'm gonna invest in. 
I'm going to fix up that 79 Trans Am, but it doesn't seem to be in the cards. And that's not what Christ calls us to. How are you using it to help others? How are you investing in internal things? How are you using it to serve God? All right. So that brings us to the positive command in verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. So he uses the same illustration, just flips it over, okay? Invest in heavenly things, eternal things that are protected from the three. Notice the same three things. So how are we investing our time, money, and resources? Are we serving God, serving others with our money? What does it look like to invest our treasures where we should. So we had a negative statement, we had a positive statement. Now the summary statement, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And there's our two key words. What you value, what your heart is set on, will be seen in how you spend money, how you spend time, how you spend your resources. It shows what you value. So what does it look like to be a citizen here in the kingdom now? All right, investing wisely with our lives, all right? Um, heart here means the whole meaning, the whole being, the whole inner person, the seat of understanding, the will, okay, your desires, we use it the same way. And we see later on in Matthew, he'll give an example of someone whose heart was in the wrong place, someone who fits this profile but missed the boat. Y'all probably know the story of the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, Right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to be saved? He tests him on his knowledge of law, which was the previous section that Chris just walked you through. Okay? And he answers it correctly, says, I've followed the law. But then Jesus knows what, where his heart is. And so he he's very specifically attacks that aspect of this guy. So Matthew 19, 21 through 22. So Jesus responded to him, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. So his heart was heavy as he was one who owned much property. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This man was so close and missed the boat because his heart was in the wrong place. He wanted treasure on earth and not in heaven. Um, Paul also uh, touches on this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. It's passing away, right? But on God who richly supplies all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So yet again, where are you investing? Okay, Where are you putting your money, your time, and your resources? Where are you putting your hope? Where is your heart, right? Paul saw that problem in the church. He's addressing it here. Jesus is addressing it in the gospels. You see this over and over again. Are you following God? Or are you following after something else? Right. Um, a great example of this, a man who really did it right. My, my biggest hero was my grandfather. Uh, he was a, grew up on a cotton farm in East Texas where everyone did cotton. Um, grew up pretty poor, uh, lower class. Went to World War II, 
fought in uh, most of the Pacific all the way up to Okinawa. Came back, started an oil and gas business, and was extremely successful, at least as far as East Texas is concerned. Okay, the, our hometown was 800, so it's, it's, it's a smaller town, but he was very successful. God blessed his business, and, a, and he wanted to take that money and give it back to the people. How can I invest what God has blessed me with with other people? And I'll give you a good picture of that in his home. Do we have a picture? Yeah, so that's his home. Despite making hundreds of thousands of dollars, having this incredible wealth, that is a simple white frame house, pure and beam, 120 years almost old. And it's the same home he was born in and the same home he passed away in. Despite all the money he made, he didn't build him a new home. He didn't, he could have. He could have built a really nice house, okay, modern house with all conveniences, but instead, He put money towards schools. He built a lot of churches. He invested in people. And then I think that's the greatest testimony he could have left me. That I'm not going to spend it on me. I'm going to spend it on others. I'm going to spend it on eternal things. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to put my heart in the right place. Okay. And so he exemplifies what we should be doing. Right. So that's the first section Um, looking at the heart and your treasure, where your heart is, where your treasure is. Okay, now we're going to look at the second one, and it's another um, part of the body, the eye. All right, so eye and light are your two key terms for the next section, eye and light. So starting in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So yet again, we get, a, we get an opening thesis statement here. The eye is the lamp of the body. So that's how he's going to start. The eye often in the ancient world referred to will. Okay, we often use it as like, you know, I have my eye on you, your focus, what, it, what you're seeking, what you're looking at. Um, and then the eye, of course, is what lets in light so you can see. And so he's using all of that imagery in context, talking about treasures to see what is your eye on? What is your focus on? And he gives a positive statement first. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. All right. So if your eye is clear, if you're focused on the right things, if you're focused on the light, right, Christ, then you will be full of light. All right. Um, But then there's the negative statement. If your eye is bad, verse 23, chapter 6, then your whole body will be full of darkness. That's a scary warning. That if you're not focused on the right things, if it's slight, if there's a slight problem with your eye and what you hold to, what you're looking to, what you're focused on, it'll lead to all kinds of issues and problems. And the summary statement here is should scare all of us. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's utter corruption if you're focused on the wrong things, if you don't let in the right light. Um, It's interesting how much our society is interested today in stories of con men or businesses that grew too fast, people that were just so absorbed by greed, like the greedy eye, that you see these rise and fall and collapse. Um, 
my wife and I, we, this is one of our secret pleasures is to watch Netflix documentaries or, or shows about these kind of people like uh, uh, Inventing Anna. Has anybody watched Inventing Anna? Don't tell me if you did. Um, she that launched a million uh, TikTok videos with the bad German accent of hers um, where she would claim to be a German heiress and go around conning people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it was never enough for her. So that's what he's referencing here, is that this corruption continues. Will you ever find happiness in wealth? You won't. And so this person, Anna Delvey, she continues to burn friends, take people's money until it ends up in jail. She gets put away. Because of the greed, she could never make it enough. Uh, another example is the WeWork scandal. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. It just came out, a new movie came out recently or series about this guy who started a business and defrauded people out of millions of dollars, faking and, and over um, stating gains and wealth of the business so people would invest, live this lavish lifestyle and just kept building and building and building until finally he's burned all of his friends and he gets kicked out of his business because it was never enough, okay? A small business wasn't enough. His first million wasn't enough. His first billion wasn't enough. He just kept going until it all collapsed. If there is light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's gonna pull you in. It's gonna destroy you. If all you do is seek after these things, more money, more attention, more power, more recognition, you will never be satisfied. And instead you will continue to collapse. Um, so if, if Netflix isn't your thing, I'll give you some literary examples, okay? Uh, this, is, this is more my speed too. Uh, Macbeth, okay, Shakespeare starts Macbeth is actually kind of a sympathetic character but then the witches at the beginning you know double toll toll and trouble all blah 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 can't remember the rest get in his head that he can be king of Scotland and you watch the rest of the play as he devolves he kills his friends he does whatever it takes trying to get the next thing seeking greed seeking wealth and how does it end for him at the end of the play his friends are gone his wife goes crazy and kills herself. He ends up getting killed. Everything is destroyed in the end. Or how about a better classic? Lord of the Rings? Gollum? My precious, right? That is all he wants is this ring, right? This precious wealth that he holds on to. And you watch that this is the second movie, I think, where you see him slowly go from a happy person fishing which is where all happy things happen, to killing a friend, removing from society, losing everything, changing physically as this wealth and this pursuit of his precious eats him away. That's what this does. If your heart's in the wrong place, if your eye's on the wrong thing, you will become corrupted, you will become Gollum, right? What should we do instead? What should we do instead? So that leads us to the third section. Um, I'm just gonna give you one key word, master. What are you seeking? What is your master? What is the thing you're after? Are you seeking after precious, right? Like Gollum. Or are you seeking after God? Using yourself wisely, all right? So master, uh, verse 24 of Matthew 6 
For no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So if you want it as clear as possible, this is how Jesus ends this section. I'll just make it very simple, all right? Uh, yet again, opening thesis, no one can serve two masters. He then uses, instead of positive to negative, we have negative to positive statement and then a positive to negative contrasting and bringing your attention to this concept. When he does these little repetitive things, it's supposed to help you remember so that you can take away what's going on, driving home the point. <clears throat> and he contrasts God and wealth. So it expands uh, to all of our resources. Yet again, where's your treasure? Okay, where's your heart? What's your eye focused on? Who's your master? And he uses the word master very specifically. That word, that verb serve, it's a very, it's, it almost means to be a slave of, right? It's, it comes from the same, it's, it's the verb form of the, the noun slave or bond servant. If you've ever had the older English translation, and so he's trying to show you can only follow one. Ultimately, you have to make a choice. Is it God or is it wealth? Is it money or is it the Messiah? What are you going to follow? What are you going to be a bondservant of? And the apostles pick this up. If you look at how they introduce almost every one of their books, they use the noun form of, of this term. So let's look at some of these passages. Romans 1, 1, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called it his apostle. So if you wanna know who's his master, he makes it very clear. Uh, Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. They've made a choice. They're leaving behind wealth. They're following Christ. Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of God. James 1.1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservants the things he must soon take place and he sent and communicated by his angel to his bond servant, John. All right, so is there any confusion for the apostles who they're following? And as they did, so should we. Who are you a bond servant of? Who is your master? Who are you seeking and following after? Who should we be seeking and following after? The apostles are clear we are to leave behind wealth, invest in eternal things, and follow Christ. One last thing in this section before I give a final illustration is throughout this whole thing, Christ is using more universal like third person, okay? No one, no person, stuff like that. But here in this last sentence to drive it home, notice he changes the pronoun here. You cannot serve God and wealth. So he's been talking through, he's giving these principles, he's telling the crowd, and at the very end to drive it home, he says, you. It's this plural form of second person. We don't have that in English, except in Texas, it's y'all. So that would be the more accurate translation. Y'all cannot serve God and wealth. 
So he's calling out the whole crowd. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna choose today? Who are you going to follow? Where are you gonna put your time, resources, effort, all of those sort of things? Invest, follow God. You cannot serve God and wealth. To give you a picture of this, I wanna share one of my favorite paintings. I'll go ahead and throw it up there. Uh, This is by uh, Caravaggio. Um, He is a late Renaissance, early Baroque painter. And this is a painting called The Calling of St. Matthew. If anybody should struggle with this question, it would be Matthew, right? What was Matthew's job? Tax collector. So if anybody had to be faced very clearly with this choice, it's going from tax collector, one of the wealthiest positions, to following God. All right. And what Caravaggio captures in this picture is not Matthew's decision. It's rather that tension. Christ is calling him and now everyone is waiting with bated breath. What's he going to do? All right. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, do a little art history. I know that's a little unusual for us, but I think it'll really help drive this home. If you look at the right over here, uh, you see Jesus walking in the door with Peter. And notice where the light is coming from. It's behind Jesus. It's who brings the light, right? Who should our eye be affixed to, right? That was the second section, the eye and the light. And he also contrasts the attire of Jesus and Peter with the rest of the audience. Jesus and Peter in first century, very simple garbs. Okay, they're just in regular clothing. Um, If you see the entire painting, this is kind of a zoomed in version, but the entire painting is really tall. You see that they're barefoot. They've left behind possessions for a higher calling. And Jesus is there pointing to Matthew, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so that provides the tension. That's the setup. And so that leads us to the left side, the tax collectors. And if you notice, all of the tax collectors have a slightly different response. A couple of them kind of looking up because they're curious. No one's ever barged in like that. The light kind of got their attention. Um, Two of them notice, don't even look up. What are they focused on? The money on the table. Who's their master? The money on the table. Christ, God, has just walked in the building and they're not even paying attention, right? Then in the middle, you have Matthew pointing at himself in confusion. Me? You're calling me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what my job is? You want me? And so the artist has left this intention. What's Matthew going to do? In front of him where his other hand is, is money. Walking in the door is the Messiah. What's he gonna choose? Jesus or wealth? You can only pick one, right? You can only follow one. Are you gonna stay there with the two that are just looking at the money? Are you gonna follow Jesus and Peter out? Okay, what is the choice? One last thing on this picture that I really like is if you notice their dress, it would have been modern dress at the time. And the idea there is you as an audience would identify with these characters on the left because they're wearing the same attire as you. Notice they didn't wear that in first century Jerusalem, right? And so it's almost like the the artist is calling out to the viewer, what would you do? Which one of these tax collectors are you? 
Are you gonna stay there at the table? Are you gonna keep counting your money? Are you in mild interest, but will eventually just stay at your seat? Or will you do like Matthew does and follow Christ? Master, who is your master? The money or the Messiah? Who are you going to follow after? And if you go see this painting, so if you happen to be in Rome, bored, okay? <clears throat> it's not too far from the Piazza Navona. Okay, you go around a corner to a, one of the chapels. And what's really powerful about this painting is also its location. It's in a little chapel off the corner. And on one side, you have this painting where it, there's this kind of tension that's inviting the viewer. Okay, what are you gonna choose? Which master are you gonna go with? And then on the other side, it's a painting called The Martyrdom of Matthew. What's the cost of following Christ? Everything, okay? Matthew was willing to give up all of his wealth, all of his life for the sake of eternal things. Is that a far better investment than any Trans Am? Okay, as cool as that is, of course, okay? And as citizens of the kingdom, that should be our choice. How can I give up myself, my money, my resources, to, for, to move the kingdom, to support, serve God, serve others? Am I willing to do what Matthew did? And so I love this juxtaposition, the tension of the call and the finality of his martyrdom. He went all the way, right? So as we, uh, let me pray for us. And then um, if the band wants to head up this way, we're gonna celebrate communion, which is the entry point into being a follower of Christ. We can only follow him because of his sacrifice. So let me pray for us. And then we're gonna take a few minutes to walk through communion together. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for this passage and just the teaching here. I pray that everyone in here knows you and is following you, Lord, and has chosen you as their master. But if anyone isn't, Lord, I pray they come grab us afterward and we can talk further through these things that we can look at these issues and walk people through, Lord. And I just wanna thank you for your son who laid everything down, took on our sins, sacrificed himself so that we might be followers of you, so that we might enter into eternity. We might enter in, into heaven and be forgiven. And so Lord, I just thank you for this time. I pray that this is a uh, beautiful time of remembering your son's sacrifice and that you're preparing the hearts of everyone in here as we celebrate and remember the sacrifice of your son. In your name, amen.